All right. Well, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. So we've been uh, working our... Oh. oh, children. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Children, if you'd like to go back to the tables. Thank you, Stacy, for that reminder. I came and sat down during the offertory, and I was like, I need to remember to tell the kids they can go back. And then I got up here and I forgot. So there you go. Happy first Sunday of the month. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to dive right in here. Paul is writing this letter to this group of Jesus followers in the Roman colony of Philippi around AD 60, AD 62, about 30 years after the death of Jesus, and he's encouraging them to continue to live this life that Jesus taught us to live. And so in chapter 2, he says, therefore, Oop, if there's a therefore, what does that mean? Oh, we better go back. Okay, so Brian preached on the last three verses of Philippians 1, how many weeks ago now? Three, four weeks ago? Something like that. Uh, so let's look at those verses and then enter chapter 2. So, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, uh, for you all, how many just feel this just sounds impossible? Uh, how, how do you have one mind? How do you just think the same way and, and think the same thing, be of one spirit? Uh, so, pause drawing on something he's already said. So, I want to look back at uh, verse. 127, next slide. Uh, he said, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is talking about a unity here, a way of being that just sounds nearly impossible, doesn't it? Uh, so, before we dig in, I'm going to uh, skip to slide six. Okay. Uh, next one. Right here. I, I want to, uh, before we really dig into these two verses, I, I want to show you a couple of different versions of these. So, um, when I study 
for Sundays. I, I study a, a number of, of different people who have really dug deep into the book of Philippians. And uh, two of the scholars I've been studying, uh, the, their commentaries that they've written, uh, they are Greek scholars, and so they know the Greek language really well. The book of Philippians was written in Greek. Uh, and so they have put together their own versions. And so I want to read to you how they have translated these two verses. The first one is by a scholar named Stephen Fowle. And so this is the way he translates uh, the first two verses of Philippians 2. He says, therefore, if in Christ there is any encouragement, if any solace of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any compassion and mercy, as of course there is, then make my joy complete by manifesting a common pattern of thinking and acting, having the same love, being bound together by this common way of thinking. Uh, so in a little bit, we'll get more into what, what is meant by this common way of thinking. How do we all come together in this common way of thinking? Uh, the next translation is by a scholar named N.T. Wright. And he translates it this way. So if our shared life in the king brings you any comfort, if love still has the power to make you cheerful, if we really do have a partnership in the spirit, if your hearts are at all moved with affection and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Bring your thinking into line with one another. Here's how you do it. Hold on to the same love. Bring your innermost lives into harmony. Fix your minds on the same object. So N.T. Wright translates it a little differently. And I, I love how he, he translates the second verse. Here's how you do it. Three ways. Hold on to the same love. Bring your innermost lives into harmony. Fix your minds on the same object. So, how do we move into this way of oneness, this way of being together, this common pattern of thinking in Christ? Turn with me to John 17. Right near the end of his life, uh, the night Jesus was going to die. He spent some intimate time with his disciples and then some intimate time with the Father in prayer. And, and Jesus prays for his 12 disciples, these 12 followers of his. And then he prays for those who will later come to believe in Jesus. And so in John 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus begins to pray for you and for me. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone, not referring to the 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How, how will the world believe that God sent Jesus? This mysterious union of God in us and us being one. This harmony, this peaceful union. 
within the community of faith. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The world will know that you sent me. How? Because the church is united. The church is one. We have this common way of being in the world. And Christ is in us. And Christ is in God the Father. And God is in us. And we are one because God is in us. It's this beautiful picture of the triune God. What, what God is, which we can't fully comprehend, somehow, mysteriously, three persons in one inseparable essence. This God who, who reveals God's self as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all with distinct roles in the universe, in the act of creating, in the act of redemption, in the act of sustaining the universe, somehow were to reflect that union. We, the church, are to be like God, who is three in one. We're to be many, yet one, inseparable, bringing the joy and beauty and love and harmony of the gospel to the world. <clears throat> so, back to Philippians. When Paul says being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The like-minded and one mind, we've seen this word before earlier in Philippians. So next slide. There we go. One mind. Uh, it's the word phronio. It involves not only thought, but also the affections and the conscience. And so when we were early on in Philippians 1, next slide, uh, Paul used this word. He said, it is right for me to feel or think this way about you. So uh, the NIV, which are the brown Bibles we have here, translates this word feel. Uh, other translations translate it think. It, it's a word that we don't have an adequate English translation for because it involves both your cognitive abilities and your affections and emotions. And so uh, this is the same word that is translated in Philippians 2.2 as like-minded or one mind. It, it is something that involves both the way you think and the way you feel. It is something that involves both your cognitive way of thinking and the affections of the heart. It, it is a way of being that is holistic. The mind and the heart deeply connected together. Not separated, but deeply connected together. Living in harmony. This is another form of oneness. We're to be one within ourselves so that we can be one with each other and so that we can be one with the God of the universe who created us to be one. This is what Paul says when he says we're to be of one mind. It's a, it's, it's a way of being in the world. And something that we'll get into in the next uh, couple of weeks, look at verse 5 of Philippians 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same 
mindset as Christ Jesus. Same word, pronio. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus emptied himself and came as a servant. So the word Paul is using here has to do with an attitude, a way of being in the world. It is not referring to everyone thinking the same thing. If we all thought exactly the same thing, it would be a pretty boring universe, wouldn't it? And so Paul is talking about a way of being with each other in the world, an attitude of love. He says, have the same love. Enter into this harmony, this union with each other that is having the same love. Paul talks about differences elsewhere. Let's look at Romans chapter 14. So what Paul wants to make clear is that we're living in union with each other, having the same love, having the same pronio, this way of thinking and feeling, an attitude, a way of life in the world. <clears throat> he is not saying, I want you all to think exactly alike. And he addresses that in Romans 14. So in Romans 14, he says this, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So there's this whole array of what Paul refers to as disputable matters, things that some people think one way about it, other people think another way about it. And he's saying, don't get yourselves all worked up about these disputable matters. That's not what the life of faith is about. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. <clears throat> so I admit it. I, your pastor, have a weak faith. I, I am a vegetarian. Uh, now, Paul is addressing this issue of uh, meat that has been sacrificed to idols, and that there are some who, uh, for them to eat that meat would, would feel like a, a, a pagan act, to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So in order to avoid uh, eating any meat that might have been sacrificed to idols, they just don't eat meat at all. So my reasons for not eating meat are, are different than what Paul's talking about here, although I feel like I have very good reasons for not eating meat. Uh, but he says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat everything and must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Look at verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. And so there, there, Paul's addressing an issue uh, where some people felt that there were some days that were more sacred than other days. Uh, some felt that Saturday in that uh, day and age, Saturday as Sabbath was more sacred than the other six days of the week. Other people said, no, not, not really. Uh, some felt like there were uh, feasts and festivals that should be celebrated, and those days were more sacred than other days. And then there were other people who said, no, every day is alike. Uh, Paul's saying, this is a disputable matter. Who cares? Get over it and be one. Practice the same love. Don't get all worked up 
about these things that really don't matter when it comes to living the life and love that Jesus has planted within you. Live the way of Jesus. Don't get worked up about these things that are just going to cause arguments rather than the unity that you have been called to in the life of faith. Verse 6, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And so Paul's point here is, listen, whatever you do, you should give thanks to God. It should be done unto the Lord, unto Jesus. So if you're living your life believing that some days are more sacred than others, as long as you're doing that, honoring God, great. If you're living your life believing, hey, every day's alike, it, it, we don't just celebrate some days as more important than other days, great. As long as you're doing that, giving thanks to God, because that is what you have been called to, living your life dedicated to the Lord, not to your way of thinking. If you're addicted to your way of thinking, rather than living your life committed unto the Lord, there's something wrong, Paul is saying. Verse 7, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. This gets at the heart of unity. When we buy into the cultural idea that we are autonomous individuals and no one should attempt to come after my individual rights, my way of thinking, my way of being. When, when we live just as individuals, uh, this is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. We are invited into a way of life that is oneness with each other. And so Paul is encouraging the Roman church that he is writing here to not get worked up about their way of thinking about one thing or another. These things, so many things in the world that are disputable matters. Paul says, get over yourself and whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So Paul is saying, listen, there are people that get so worked up about their point of view that they lose focus of what life is all about. It's about the Lord, about the Lord Jesus. And so if we get all worked up about a point of view rather than focusing on what life is about, which is Christ, something has gone desperately wrong. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's about Christ, not 
about us, not about our point of view. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Let's look at verse 13. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to, be put, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So uh, I think Paul's pretty fired up here when he's writing this. He's saying, you, you've lost the script here. You've gone off script in a way that is unhealthy. And you've decided to hammer on a point of view rather than recognizing what life is really about. And it's about living the life Jesus has planted in your soul from the beginning of time. So stop, just stop judging each other and live your life unto the Lord. Verse 19, he says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So Paul is saying, listen, your, your petty arguments are leading to division rather than peace and mutual edification. So Paul says, make every effort to live a life of peace and mutual edification. Verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Whatever you believe about these things, just keep your mouth shut. Basically what Paul says. Because when you get worked up about it, about your point of view, and you cause disputes, you're, you're causing your brother or your sister to stumble rather than edifying them in the way of Jesus. Uh, I imagine if we just right now decided to let... Let's name a list of disputable matters. We would, I mean, we could take up the rest of our time just talking about what, what things are disputable matters. And then someone would say something and someone else would say, no, that's not disputable. That's an absolute. We, we would get in an argument here this morning, wouldn't we? Over what's disputable and what's not. Uh, Paul says, listen, focus on the crucified and risen Christ. It's about Jesus and his call on your life to live faithfully in the way of Jesus. This pattern of dying and rising. This is what the gospel message is all about and what we're going to get into even more as we go through Philippians 2, that Jesus emptied himself for the sake of the world, that Jesus gave himself up for the sake of the world, that Jesus came as a servant. Even though he was God, he came as a servant and gave himself away for the sake of the world. When, when Paul says, have the same mind, have the same love, he's pointing at Jesus. What does Jesus' love look like? It looks like God who gave himself up for the sake of the world. So to have that same love 
means to give yourself up for the sake of the world. Paul is saying, get yourself out of the way and allow Jesus, who is already in you, to flow through you as you give yourself up for the sake of the world. What does it look like to have that kind of love, to have the same love? Next slide. So Richard Rohr says this, life is not about being correct, but about being connected. Life is not about being correct, but about being connected. This, I think, is the heart of what Paul is getting at when he says, have the same love. Be of one spirit and one mind. Paul isn't saying, make sure you're correct and make sure everyone else lines up with your way of thinking. Paul is saying, you are connected in Christ. Live out of that same Christ-like love. Live out of that same spirit. Live out of that same mind. Paul is saying he actually thinks it's possible that a church can have a whole array of different opinions about things and have the same love. That that's actually possible. I mean, when we think about the universal church and the hundreds of denominations are out there, because people didn't all line up with the exact same thinking, and so we just created a new church, and then created a new church, and then created a new church, and then created a new church, Paul is saying, disputable matters. Disputable matters. Now, don't get me wrong, doctrine's important. Uh, we need to have a healthy way of understanding who God is, who Jesus is, who we are as humans, and, and God's plan of salvation for the world. These things are not unimportant. But most churches, I fear, have been started out of disputable matters. Rather than having the same love and being like-minded, in Christ. It, it is possible to be a church who thinks very differently on a whole array of things and have the same love. Because we have the same spirit within us, maturing us in the way of love. It is possible. Uh, I had an old seminary professor, I, I love this quote, he used to say all the time, he says, there's no virtue in being right. Uh, and his point in this, but he, he uh, in his classes, he hammered on this idea of we were created for relationship. God as Trinity is a relationship of love, a self-giving relationship of love that the Father always pouring himself out to the Son and the Spirit. The Son always pouring himself out to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit always pouring himself out to the Father and the Son. This ongoing, endlessly self-giving love between the triune God who pours himself out to the world and displays that most fully in Jesus 
who poured himself out in self-giving love to the world. And so if we are created in the image of God, we too are created for relationships of self-giving love, pouring ourselves out. Love, God's love flowing through us out to the world. And so if that is the case, if we are created for relationships of self-giving love, then there's just no virtue in being right. Because when we hammer our point, it's not building relationships. Now there's, of course, great opportunities for healthy dialogue between people who disagree on different matters. This is not to say we shouldn't have healthy disagreement and healthy dialogue. I think that's a great thing. But when it comes at the expense of relationships, there's no virtue in it. It's never worth it. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians comes right before Philippians. Another letter of Paul's. And he's writing uh, to this church in Ephesus about the beauty of, of Christ's work and, and so many aspects of the redemptive work of Christ, one being that Jesus didn't come only to save the Jewish people of whom Jesus was a Jew, but he came to save the Gentiles, everyone else as well. And somehow, in Christ's work, he, he is bringing the Jewish people and Gentiles together as one. And this is what Paul is trying to explain in Philippians uh, or Ephesians chapter 2, let's look at verse 14. He says, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Notice how many times in this passage the word one is used, the word peace is used, the word reconciliation is used. This is the work of Jesus, bringing oneness where there was division, bringing about a new humanity, bringing about a whole new creation. This is what Jesus came to do. Um, As we come and, and take communion this morning, I, I wonder in this new year what Jesus is stirring in your heart, uh, what God desires to do in and through you, in and through us as a community this year. Uh, we, we talk about the one body and, and the one cup, the one God, 
one church. Um, I wonder for us this morning as we come and partake of the bread and the cup, you might take a moment to reflect on that oneness. What, what is Jesus inviting you into, into being more one with God this year? Uh, being more one with your community of faith this year? Li- living in the same love that Jesus invites us into. Uh, I want to invite you to close your eyes. And as your eyes are closed, I just want to invite you to reflect on this same love that Jesus invites us into. What does it look like for you to live the life of Christ's love? Uh, Because that, that is the truest part of you. All of the sin in you, all the brokenness in you, all the heartache in you, uh, Jesus invites you to release that to him and, and to live out of the truest part of you that God created from the beginning of the world. And that was to live in relationships of love where you pour yourself out to God and to others and be filled back up with Christ's love by the Spirit. Your your truest self is love. There is the indwelling presence of the Spirit compelling you towards love. God's presence is closer to you than you are to yourself. It is in all of us. Yet we must wake up to it. God invites us to wake up to the love of Jesus that is already present in us by his spirit. And so as you come and partake of the bread and the cup this morning, what does it look like for you to release whatever sin issues you're dealing with, whatever deep brokenness is within you? What does it look like for you to release needing to be right. And instead, come to this table where we can all agree that Christ's body was broken and his blood poured out for us. What does it look like to live in a reality where we can all agree this world needs healing? doesn't it? That this world needs more love. This world needs more peace. This world needs more joy. What does it look like for us all to agree? We, we can be instruments of healing in a divisive world. We can be the love of Jesus in a world of fear We're invited to live this way of love. God, this morning I I pray that 
you would cultivate within us more and more your love. God, get ourselves out of the way. Get our own selfish desires and ways of being out of the way and allow the true self you have created in Christ Jesus to emerge more and more. God, give us the capacity to live with your one spirit, with your same love, with the mind of Christ. And may it be for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.